Welcome to the Clovercrest Baptist Church podcast. For more information about Clovercrest Baptist Church, go to clovercrest.com.au. Now, I trust as you entered into the room today, for those of us joining us in the room, you received a piece of paper today and a pen. I'd like you to grab that out now. And if you missed that on your way in, if you raise your hand, our very friendly welcome team will uh, bring those to you and get those to you. If you're online, I encourage you as well, grab a bit of paper and a pen, because what I'm going to ask us to do is write down three to five words that you would use to describe God. Now, if you're a bit more technologically minded, you can use your phone, you can put it into your phone if you like, just make a note there, that's fine, however you want to do it. So, three to five words that you would use to describe God. Now, as I give you a moment just to do that now, let's just do a brief recap of where we've been in our last four weeks of the series. So, week one, we saw that God has chosen, changed, and converted us. It's week one. Chosen, changed, and converted us. Week two, Dubsy spoke about courage and consistency in living out our faith. Week three, Mike spoke to us about demonstrating care in community. And last week, Mike spoke to us again, and we saw that God has called us and chosen us to become more like him. That is, living in holiness. And so that brings us to today, to our passage today in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, starting at verse 13, we're going through to chapter 5, verse 11. So if you'd like to uh, grab out your Bibles, that would be great. Follow along, or it'll be up on the screen as well. So let's uh, dive into that now. Chapter 4, starting at verse 13. And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died, so you will not grieve like people who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns... God will bring back with him the believers who have died. We tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. So encourage each other with these words. Chapter 5. Now concerning how and when all this will happen, dear brothers and sisters, we don't really need to write you, for you know quite well that the day of the Lord's return will come unexpectedly, like a thief in the night. When people are saying... Everything is peaceful and secure. Then disaster will fall on them as suddenly as a pregnant woman's labour pains begin and there will be no escape. But you aren't in the dark about these things, dear brothers and sisters, and you won't be surprised when the day of the Lord comes like a thief. For you are all children of the light and of the day. We don't belong to darkness and night. So be on your guard, not asleep like the others. 
Stay alert and be clear-headed. Night is the time when people sleep and drinkers get drunk. But let us who live in the light be clear-headed, protected by the armour of faith and love, and wearing as a helmet the confidence of our salvation. For God chose to save us through our Lord Jesus Christ, not to pour out his anger on us. Christ died for us so that whether we are dead or alive when he returns, we can live with him forever. So encourage each other and build each other up, just as you are already doing. Today I want to focus particularly on three verses. It's actually probably really one verse. As I prepared, I felt God put a question on my heart, a very particular question that he wants to ask us today. Now this whole passage, such a wonderful passage, in uh, chapter 4, verse 13 to 18, Paul encourages us with hope in the face of death. And then uh, starting in uh, chapter 5, from verses 1 to 8, Paul is giving guidance around being ready for Christ's return. Great passages to look at, full of hope and encouragement. But I felt today God wanted us to hone in, hone in on verses 9 to 11. Now, we have a reading plan to go along with our series, if you didn't know that. And I encourage you, in your own time yourself, to spend time in this whole passage, reflecting on particularly those first two sections, as I just described, and just sitting in those yourself. But today, let's read together again verses 9 to 11. For God chose to save us through our Lord Jesus Christ not to pour out his anger on us. Christ died for us so that whether we are dead or alive when he returns, we can live with him forever. So encourage each other and build each other up, just as you are already doing. So here it is. Here's the question I felt God was asking us today. The question God is asking is, how do you see me? How do you see me, God is asking Grab your bit of paper out again and reflect on the words you have written there. It can be easy to write down words like loving, kind, faithful, powerful, merciful, forgiving. It can be easy to write down words like that. But what happens to our view of God when life gets tough? Would we still describe God in the same way? In two days' time, it will be the fourth year anniversary of my father's death from brain cancer. In just 10 weeks, he went from a strong man that I knew to pretty much a husk, just a shell, a figure that I barely recognised as the man that I'd known for 40-odd years. For near on six months, I could hardly pray or even read the Bible. Where was God in this injustice of life? I was faced with a decision. Is God still the God I described or not? Six months after Dad's death, I had an accident where I broke my neck. And I had six months of recovery and rehab. And as I reflected on the accident, and believe me, I had a lot of time to reflect. As I reflected on that accident, I remember asking questions like, Why didn't God prevent the accident? Even did God cause the accident? 
do I still believe God is good and kind and just and all those other things that I thought about God? What role does God play in my life in this world? Is he just a spectator, sitting off to one side and watching on as the daily grind of life just goes on day after day after day? Or is he intimately involved in this world and therefore in my life? You know, we often have unanswered questions when we get blindsided by events in life. And maybe you have had moments in life when you've asked similar questions. I wonder if you are even asking those questions now. But God is asking us, how do you see me? It's an important question. It's an important question to consider because how we answer it determines how we live out our faith. Our series in 1 Thessalonians, as we've just seen, it's themed living faith. How we see God cannot but influence how we live out our faith. Or even if we choose to embrace faith at all. It might be that our view of God would be one that, who would want to know a God like that? Why would we want to embrace faith if that's the God that we believe exists? Today I want to explore God's question to us by focusing our attention on this phrase from verse 9. God chose to save us. God chose to save me. God chose to save you. I wonder what you think or feel about that truth today. Maybe that doesn't mean anything to you yet. Or maybe you've been a follower of Jesus for a long time, many years, and the depth of meaning to that truth that God has saved you has worn off. I trust that in our time together today, God will reveal himself to us, perhaps for the first time, or maybe in a fresh revelation in our understanding of him. Something I really want to emphasize in this is that God initiated our salvation. God made the first move toward us. And how does he do this? It's through Jesus Christ. Let's look at verse 9 again. For God chose to save us through our Lord Jesus Christ. We also see this in John 3.16, perhaps one of the most famous verses of the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Or John 17.3, Now this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. 1 John 5.11, And this is the testimony, God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. And this is not just a New Testament experience of God. We also see God in the Old Testament initiating relationship to bring people back to himself. Think of uh, Abraham, or Abram as he was known uh, when God first called him out. It's entirely possible that Abram wasn't even worshipping God at that time. Or if he was... The Lord God was just one God among many that Abram worshipped. And God called to him and initiated that relationship. God initiated relationship with the Israelite community. 
First, God called to Moses from the burning bush. And then God called Moses up the mountain so he could give to the Israelite community the means by which they could live in relationship with him. We see God initiating an ongoing, everlasting relationship with David and his descendants. David asked God, God, can I build you a house, a temple? God comes back to David and says, no, David, no, you're not going to build me a house, but I will build you a house, a dynasty. Bet David was surprised by that. That's not what he was asking. So we see God is consistent in his character and in his pursuit of us. God doesn't wait for us to pursue him. No, God pursues us. God chose to save me. God chose to save you. Now we need to stop here for a moment and consider something though. Because if God had a choice, it says God chose to save me, God chose to save us, then what was his other option? Verse 9 again. For God chose to save us through our Lord Jesus Christ, not to pour out his anger on us. The opposite alternative before God, which he could have chosen, was to pour out his anger on us. Now this can be uncomfortable to think about. We, we don't like thinking about God's anger or God being angry. And there may even be some here today where your view of God is that God is an angry God. And perhaps you've just gone... <laughs> I knew it. I knew God was just waiting for me to stuff up so he could hit me over the head. What I've just said seems to validate and reinforce your understanding of God, that he's an angry God. You know, the main thing we need to understand about God's anger or wrath, God's wrath as some Bibles translate it, is that God's anger is against evil. God is angry at all the evil things that go on in this world. If we remove God's wrath, what are we left with? We're left with a God who is completely indifferent to the evil that happens in this world. I think about the evil things that I've personally experienced. I think about bullying and slander that that I've been on the end of in the workplace. Not here, let me just clarify that. I think about deliberate attempts to short pay me, again, at another workplace. I think about relationships that have broken down in various ways. And abusive neighbours. I'm sure you can think of different things that you've experienced as well, different evil that you have suffered. You know, I for one, I am not interested at all in following a God who is completely indifferent to the evil that I have experienced. Brings me great comfort to know that God is angry that I have experienced this evil. And God is angry that you have experienced evil too. He's not happy with that. Brings me peace that God will stand against evil and injustice and hold those evildoers accountable for what they have done. What about you? Do you really want to know a God who cares nothing, nothing at all for the evil that you have experienced? I wonder 
how does that change your perspective of God's anger today? There is a flip side to this, however. Because not only am I a victim of evil, I have to admit, unfortunately, that I am also an evildoer. There are victims out there of my unkind words, of my thoughtless and selfish actions. Even, dare I say it, my deliberate hurting of others in different ways. There are so many things I've said and done that I regret and am ashamed of. Perhaps that is the same for you. We easily think of ourselves as victims of evil. We aren't so ready to admit that we are evildoers also. You know, it's a funny thing how we compare ourselves to others. When we look at what we have, we usually compare ourselves up. We compare ourselves with those who have more than us. Our focus is on what we don't have. When we think about behaviour and morality, we tend to compare ourselves down. We compare ourselves with those who we consider more morally corrupt than us, more morally bankrupt. Yeah, I gossiped about that person to my friend, but at least I didn't do what she did. Yeah, I I speed, but... I'm not like those people who drive while they're using their phone. I'm not those people. I watch a bit of porn, but I'm not like those guys who womanise and cheat on their partner. We compare ourselves against those we consider more morally corrupt so that we can rationalise our evil doing. Yeah, I've done this, but I'm not like that person over there. It doesn't change that I am still an evildoer. And God is angry at the evil that I have done. That God will hold people accountable is great news when I consider myself as the victim. Not so great as I consider that I'm an evildoer too. That means God will hold me accountable for what I have done. And God will hold you accountable for what you have done. But here's where we circle back. We circle back to God's choice. Because God chose to save me and God chose to save you through Jesus Christ. That is good news, right? Isn't that good news? It is. Actually, no, it's not good news. It's great news. It's great news. How awesome is it that God, when faced with a decision about what to do with my evil and your evil, he said, I choose to save you. I choose to save you. Thank you, God. Thank you that you chose to send Jesus to die and be resurrected to save us. And then Paul tells us in verse 10 what that actually means for us. means we will live forever with God. Verse 10, Christ died for us so that whether we are dead or alive when he returns, we can live with him forever. I mean, this just keeps getting better and better. First, God chooses to save us. And now we find out it's because he wants us to live with him forever. How cool is that? How awesome? We have to stop on this for a moment. We have to stop and make sure we really grasp the enormity of what this means. Just take a moment now, invite all of us in the room or if you're joining us online, just take a moment now to reflect. Reflect on this in light of what we've just learned even for those of us who have known God for many years, that we are all evildoers, 
But God pursues us and God chooses to save us because God wants us to live forever with him. Wow. Does that overwhelm your heart in wonder, amazement and gratitude? Just take a moment now to thank God. Just say, thank you, God. Tell him how grateful you are that he chose you. For those online, you might like to write a brief reflection in the chat now. And so Paul can write in verse 11, encourage each other and build each other up just as you are already doing. Yeah, this is hugely encouraging. How encouraging is it that God chose us I trust you are encouraged today. Encouraged that in its most simplest and basic form, like you can't break it down any more than this, that God wants you. God wants you. And so God is asking us today, how do you see me? How do you see me? God challenged me with this question about 12 months ago. I had a revelation because it was a little God moment where I realized that despite knowing God is, is loving and kind and good, that I had a perspective of God that just held him a bit distant, just a bit removed from me, not so relational. Was that because of those series of events in my life three to four years ago? Maybe, I, I don't know. But God challenged my perception of him. You know, I, I saw Jesus as the one who outworked in a close and personal way God's love for me. Jesus was personal and relational, not so much God. It was Jesus I could turn to in times of need, when I needed help. But God challenged me that Jesus shows me who he is. You know, all those things I said about Jesus, close, personal, relational, willing to help, that's who God is. And it didn't work that I had one view of Jesus and another view of God because Jesus reveals God to me. As we've seen together today, it's actually God who initiated and sent Jesus to die for me. God initiated Jesus' death and resurrection because God wanted me to live forever with him. God is asking, how do you see me? Now you just take out your piece of paper again. And, and what is God saying to you in what you've written there? Is there a disconnect between what you've written down and your life events and how that plays out in living out your faith? It's easy to write down what we think we should write or even what we think others might expect us to write. But let's sit before God now in an attitude of prayer and allow him to continue to speak and move amongst us for I believe he is speaking and moving. You know, it's okay to have unanswered questions, difficult questions. If that's where you're sitting today, that's okay. But in that place, God is asking, how do you see me? You know, God had a choice 
he chose to save us. And in that place, you have a choice. There's a choice before you about what you will choose to believe about God. Will you choose to believe God is distant? That God is uninterested? Maybe God is unable to intervene. Maybe God is powerless. Maybe you've been sitting in situational praying for something for a long time. Maybe you believe God is angry or God is uncaring. Whatever it is for you. Or will you choose to believe that God pursues you? God pursues you and he initiated relationship with you through Jesus and that he has already chosen to save you so that you can live forever with him.